Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. sweet to be in the Lord's presence and among the Lord's people. I love you folks. So thankful to to pastor in a place just like this. Excited about what God's doing about this coming year. And he's led us to 1 Corinthians 13. If you got a copy of the word, you open it up there. We'll start at verse 4. He's led us to this passage to to challenge us this coming year before we check anything else or, or seize any opportunity that he's laid before us. We need to look back at the, at the most important thing at all, and that is how is our love life? How is our love life? How are we doing at agape? How are we doing if we measure ourselves against love's demands in our life and the demonstration of Jesus Christ? If we measure ourselves as a church and as individuals against that, what is the answer? How are we doing? Man, this little passage teaches us about this wonderful thought of, of love and Man, it instructs us and inspires us all the like to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, is the manifest love of God in the person of Jesus Christ at work in and through you? We started out by looking at what I've called love's excellence. Uh, chapter 12, verse 31b, he says, man, love is the, the more excellent way. It's more excellent than any other avenue you'll choose. If you want to know the best way to live and and the best way to serve the Lord, start to pursue love in your life. There won't be any other way that will come out better than that. Parents, children, friends, husbands, wives, the greatest way is love. Fellow church members, the greatest way we'll ever relate to one another is love. Church to the world, the greatest thing that we can do for them is to display the agape love of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been shed abroad in our hearts and our lives. We moved on to love's essentiality, and we see in verses 1 through 3 of this chapter 13 that if we have no love, we have nothing. Anything we attempt outside of the motivating factor of the love of God comes to absolutely nothing. No profit, nothing comes from anything done outside of the love of God. We must have it. It doesn't matter what we can say. It doesn't matter how much we can see in the Word or prophetically. It doesn't matter how much you give or how great a sacrifice you make in your life. If you do it outside of the context of the love of God, it really amounts to absolutely nothing. You know, back in the, in the big hair days of the 80s when my hair was bigger for sure, and it was a whole lot blonder in those days, I'll tell you that. It's getting blonde, a different kind of blonde now, but in those days it was a lot blonder. There was a lady named Tina Turner that sang a, sang a song that, man, it, it, it just tells how the world really feels about love. The title of it was this, What's Love? What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love? It's just a sweet, old-fashioned notion. She said, What's Love Got to Do With It? It's just an old second-hand emotion. And she went to degrade and down love and said, Man, love doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, in reality, how much does love have to do with it? Everything. It's all about love. Without it, forget it. If we don't have love, we have nothing. We begin to look at what I call love's essence also. If we have to have it, if it's the most excellent way, then that begs the question, what in the world does this thing look like? What is it? What is at its core? And Paul makes 16 powerful statements, distinct but yet interdependent upon one another, that we begin to analyze. And I'm going to try my best to finish them today. We've looked at the first seven and if your math's any good, it means we have nine to go. 
took me two weeks to do seven. I'm going to try to do nine in one day. So don't get scared. We're going to see if we can ease to the end of this list today. Let's read together. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at chapter 4, down through 8a. The King James reads this way, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. I'm glad that love is patient and love is kind. I'm, I'm glad that it isn't envious, that it wants the best for everybody and for others in your life. Charity vaunteth not itself. Man, it's not boastful. It's not puffed up. It is not prideful. It does not behave itself unseemly. It never brings disgrace upon people or on the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a pastor friend of mine that always challenges me. He says, whatever you do, don't allow the enemy to impact your life in such a way that you bring disgrace and reproach upon the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Love just never behaves itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. It's not selfish. There's the ones we've covered. We're going to pick these up right here today. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And we're going to borrow this bridging phrase as well. Love never fails. We looked at seven. We're going to pick up at eight today. The eighth thought that Paul throws out about love and its nature, its essence is this, that love isn't sensitive. Love isn't sensitive. If you're taking notes, that's the kind of the connotation that we want to leave with you, that love isn't sensitive. In the King James, it says it's not easily provoked. That means this, it's not touchy. It's not easily angered or stirred up. Have you ever said something to someone and they responded this way? Well, just what does that mean? Well, what do you mean by that now? Wait a minute. Why'd you say that? What is that? How does that apply to my life? And man, it seems like you can't say anything. My old dad says, worse than a sore tail cat. Man alive, you can't touch them. You can't move around them. You have to walk on eggshells. And man, love just isn't that way. It's not touchy. It's not easily angered. If we look at it from the converse, it helps us understand this statement just a little better. It means this, that love has tough skin. That love has tough skin, man. When you love, you're just not easily provoked. You're not easily enraged. You have a real tough skin about you. Man, I remember when I was young, I went back to the 80s. If you're going a little further back to the 70s, I mean, we didn't have Hollister jeans. We didn't have American Eagle jeans. We didn't go to the mall and have 10 different stores we could pick the right designer jeans from. Listen, when I went jean shopping, it was once a year. It was in the months of August. We went right to Sears. We went to the clothing section, and the jeans we picked out, how many of y'all been there were what? Tough skin. Sears? Tough skins, brother. Everybody at Fairview Elementary School wore the same clothes. We didn't have a uniform, but beloved, by default, we did. All of us had on Sears tough skins. The only decision in the morning is, what color was your mom going to make you wear? Because they came in every color of the rainbow, green, brown, black. It didn't matter. You had them all. Their, their the dominant and distinguishing feature was that they were blue jeans, but they had big old patches sewn into them in every area that was likely to wear in the 
seat, in the knees, anywhere that was a high wear district for a pair of blue jeans. They had sewn a big patch. I think sometimes, what would it be like if I took Rachel and Riley to the, to the mall to Sears and said, baby, pick out whatever color tough skins you want. I think I'd have a revolt on my hands. I mean, hey, I don't think that'd work today. I'm just honest with you. Man, we wore those tough skins. Man, we wanted them to wear. We had to have them that way because we wasn't going to get no more of them until next August, beloved. That was the end of it. That was what we was going to wear for the whole year. And man, you see, love's that way. It has tough skin. Love insulates those places in your emotions that wear very easily. Those touchy spots, that's where love comes in and makes up the difference. Those things that stir you up, that issue in your life, that hot button that somebody can unintentionally push in your life and get you all stirred up. Love in its capacity will come and, and cover those areas. And it'll let you respond, not, well, what is that supposed to mean? Man, you'll respond, I know they didn't mean that. It's not, how does that affect my life? It's, no, man, what's going on in their life? For them to say that, something's going on behind the scenes. And love's motivating me to figure out what they're doing. Love is, is not sensitive. I wrote this thought down. Aren't you glad the love of God isn't easily offended? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad in your life, in those moments where you don't understand, and man, you start to fuss and whine a little bit, and, and it escalates to you, to you in a prayer session somewhere, shaking your fist in God's face and saying, why? Why, why, why are you doing that? I don't understand if that's the way you're going to treat me. I don't know if I want to hang around. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, well, fine. Go ahead. I'm glad his love just says, look, I, I'm not taking it that way. I know you don't mean it. I'm going to stay right here with you. Paul says, man, love, it's not easily provoked. You're not going to move it to react in, a, in an angry and detrimental way. It's not touchy. It has tough skin. The ninth thought is this. Love isn't grudging. Not only is it, is it not uh, sensitive, he says that love isn't, isn't grudging at all. I love in the latter part of verse 5, he says it thinks no evil. It thinks no evil. Uh, the context and the connotation is this. If you, if you go back to the Greek, it means this. It takes no account of wrongs suffered. Love doesn't make a list. The Greek word is the term reckon here, which is an accounting term, which means I'm keeping up with every little thing. Beloved, it's tax time, and I know we have some accountants in this place here, and, and I know you're working as hard as you've ever worked, and you will until, until April the 15th comes, and maybe a little beyond that. And what you have to do is give an account. You have to keep a record of everything a business has done, or you have to give an account for everything an individual's done if you're helping them with their taxes. And they, they look, an accountant can see where you spend your money. Man, have you, have you used it on things that are necessary? Have you frivolously, man, frittered it away? Have you been giving any of it, or have you been keeping all of it? it for yourself and an accountant knows everything if you want to know something about somebody I believe you can learn about them by just looking at their checkbook and how they spend their money and the places they put it it's like keeping a set of books and what Paul is saying is that love never does that it never keeps a set of books it's not remembering what you did wrong it's not looking back and saying wow I remember this and I, I remember that and I remember this I wrote this down and you need to get this if you don't get anything else from this statement today the enemy 
His chief job and one of the things he's really good at is taking one wrong in your lives and planting it in your spirit and your mind and he'll use that one wrong somebody did to you to erase every bit of good that they ever sowed in your life. One wrong thought he can take and he'll erase everything that was ever good about that situation in your life. Paul says love never ever keeps a record of wrong. It doesn't keep a set of books. Man, I've counseled with people, and they'll say, well, Pastor, I, you know, I'm over this, and this has nothing to do with this situation at all, but 30 years ago, this person did this to me. And I'm saying, you, you're telling me that has nothing to do with it, and here's 30 years later, man, you can't remember what you had for lunch yesterday, but 30 years later, you can tell me every detail of the situation that you're talking about. You can tell me what the temperature was outside, what time of day it was, what color the telephone was that you were holding in your hand when the person made that comment, and you're telling me that this doesn't bother you anymore, and, and, you're, and you're over it. You're not over it, man. You're keeping a record of the things that people did wrong to you. And Paul says, love just never does that. Love never does that. I want to challenge you to do this. Instead of keeping a record of wrong, because that's a human tendency, beloved, it is. Instead of keeping a record of wrong, why don't you ask the love of God in you to help you start keeping a record of right? Why don't you help the love of God in you to say, hey, I'm going to start... I'm going to start marking the good things that people have said. I'm going to start marking the positive things that have come out of that experience. I'm going to start marking the things that have built me up and, and, and man, pushed me forward in my Christian experience. I believe the enemy would shudder if the people of God, just in the love of God, started recording the good things in their mind over those bad things and, and let those bad things go. I wrote this thought down again. Aren't you glad that you're Heavenly Father? Keeps no record of the wrongs that have occurred in your life. I look back at who I am and what I've done and where I've been. Oh, and it's ever before me. Paul says that. My sin seems ever before me. But let me tell you one place your sin isn't and never shall be is before the eyes of the God of this universe. He keeps no record of the wrong you've done in your life. I love the words of the Old Testament prophet. God said through him, I have blotted out your sins as a dark cloud. I'll never ever see them again. They're gone as if they never happened. Man, I've taken them, didn't, they, didn't the word tell us, and I have buried them by the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've buried them in the sea of forgetfulness. Now, that would be good enough. But he tacked on this statement, and I will never, ever remember them again. Never. Aren't you glad today? You know what that is? That is the agape love of God. That's what that is. Love isn't grudging. People say, well, you'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. I believe that. The Word teaches that. And you're going to give an account for the deeds you did in the body, for the things you did for the Lord, good or bad. But I'm going to tell you something you're not going to give an account of because the Word's not true. If this happens, you're not going to give an account of the sin in your life because it has been paid for once and for all by Jesus Christ. What a great thing is love. Love is, it isn't sensitive. Love isn't 
grudging. We move to verse 6, and I want to make a note for you. It contains what I call the only true couplet in this little prose uh, section right here. It contains really the only true couplet to me, uh, and it contains for us phrases 10 and 11. Let's read it again together, and you can see what I'm talking about. Verse 6 says, Love rejoices not in iniquity, but, and here's the other side of that couplet, rejoices in the truth, the common word there is rejoice. And rejoice means this. As we were preaching through Philippians, I hope you, you learned this on the Wednesday nights that you were here. Rejoice means this, to take absolute joy in, to be happy about something. And the two thoughts that are here revolve around this concept of, of what am I happy about? Well, he begins with what love isn't happy about. And I want to I couch it in this context. He said, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. I want you, though, to have this thought. Love isn't indifferent. Love isn't indifferent. Paul says here it doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, I, I tip that off, means evil. It means iniquity, it means wrong, and it means sin. Now, some folks think that love is just indifferent to sin, that love just tries to ignore it, and that love tries to sweep it under the carpet and just act like it's not there, that if you love somebody, you should, you should never do that. But I'm here to tell you that real love acknowledges and sees the wrong and evil and sin. It acknowledges it. It does it in its own life, and it does it in the life of those it cares about around it. Love just isn't indifferent and standing by and saying, Wow, how happy I am for you. And I think sometimes as a church we try to take that posture. But Paul says right here that love takes no joy. It is not happy when sin and evil and unrighteousness is ruling the day. So you don't look around at somebody today and say, wow, you cheated on that business deal. Great, happy man, proud of you for that, for that cunning business acumen you displayed there. Wow, way, way to go, cheated and got the best end out of that business deal. Wow, you're, you're running around on your wife. Well, good on you, baby. Hallelujah. God still loves you anyway. Love doesn't do that. Man, you're lying out there. You're, you're, you're armed right, whatever you want to call it, man. Uh, love doesn't say hallelujah when it sees wrong in people's life. Paul says it isn't indifferent to the evil, to the, to the things that evil does. Now, the world sure does, man. If you want to know what the world thinks about sin and evil in your life today, they're saying anything is good for you, baby. You run and get it. Anything that props you up makes you feel good. You run and get it, man. Don't you let anybody judge you. Set your own ethic up for yourself, man, because really, whatever you think's right's right, there is no absolute truth. So who's to say whether something's really wrong or a way you do something's really right? Or, or man, maybe this is, there's no real absolute truth in this universe. So really, you can set your own truth. That's what the world tells you. Man, I'm happy for you. Whatever makes you happy, I'm happy and good on you. And that's not the agape love of God. The agape love of God is not indifferent. It doesn't just look out there and see sin and try to wink at it a little bit and, and, and sweep it under the carpet. Now, I will teach you a little something here that I learned some years back through a little outreach program that we used to teach here on Tuesday nights, and I've never forgotten it. There's two things love doesn't do in regard to sin. There's two things that love doesn't do. It never does them in regard to sin. Number one, love never condones it. Love never condones sin in, in its own life or in the life of someone around it. It never does. It'll never stand back and pat you on the back. It'll never say, it's okay, baby. You didn't know any better. No, love really begins to confront sin, expose sin, and aggravate sin. And most times, love doesn't even have to speak a word to do it. I can't tell you how many times 
I've walked in my living room as a young man, and my mom be standing there, and all I had to do was see the look on her face. She didn't have to know what I was doing. She didn't have to know what I was thinking. But, man, I saw her face, and I don't know how come moms have this guilt gift inside. I think the Lord just puts it inside them, this ability to bring guilt. in. What it is is love, man. You look at that true love that a mom has for her for her young and man, I, I can remember times just walking in and looking at my mama's face and go, doggone, Stace, what are you doing, man? What are you? She hadn't said a word, and their love, man, come into the picture and made me a little uncomfortable. She never didn't have to say you're all right, didn't have to say you shouldn't do that. Man, love just confronts sin right where it is, and it can do it without even knowing it. Man, when the love of God comes around, that's what brings conviction into the sinner's life. It is the love of an almighty God when you see a love that pure, someone who loves you in spite of you. Beloved, that's what brings the Holy Ghost conviction into your life that you need to even have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Love never condones sin. Secondly, I want you to know this, love never condemns either. Love doesn't condone sin, but it doesn't start condemning the individual. It doesn't start standing back in judgment and saying, you know how sorry a thing you are? Do you understand how miserably you failed in this ring. I mean, do you have any clue how foolish you've acted in this moment? Don't you understand that you're dumb as a door? Love never, ever begins to condemn people. It doesn't. It doesn't condone what's going on in their life. But man, it never begins to, to condemn people. One of the examples they gave in, in our outreach was this. Don't go into somebody's house who hadn't been to church in six months and they open up the door and you sit down on their couch and the first thing you say to them is, well, we were checking the rolls. Hadn't seen you in six months. Where have you been? Man, I'm telling you, don't you understand? You need to be in the house of the Lord. My country, how can you even function? You hadn't even been to church in six months. The, the truth is they know they haven't been to church in six months. They don't need to hear those things and people know what they're doing doing wrong in their life because the Lord's job is that it is not yours and mine our job is to love them not to condemn them where they are I'm going to tell you if it's up to me to bring conviction into somebody's life there ain't anybody ever going to be born again Thanks be unto God that it is the love of God that gently and in the right way convicts people of the sin and the wrong in their life and shows them where they are and leads them to the cross of Calvary where they can respond in faith and repentance and have their life changed. Man, love isn't indifferent. Don't be fooled, man. Love is not about just uh, sweeping something under the carpet and saying, wow, it's okay, don't worry about it. Paul says love takes no joy in unrighteousness. It's not happy about it. Let me ask you this. Aren't you glad that the love of God was moved to confront your unrighteousness? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the love of God was moved to not only confront your unrighteousness, but bring deliverance from it into your life for you? That's love. It's not indifferent. The love of God didn't stand back and say, well, I don't care. The love of God moved in action. Second part of that couplet, love is inspired. On the converse, love rejoices and takes joy in the truth. Love takes joy. It's happy about the truth. Some translations, and I believe rightly so, could read this way. It rejoices with the truth or alongside the truth. In other words, love begins to share the natural joy that comes from walking in truth. And, and to me, walking in truth means this. It means I have nothing to hide. What a, what a great place to live. Aren't you happy and joyful when you get up and, and you say, you know what, I really don't have anything to hide. 
I, I mean, there isn't a thing today that I'm just hoping somebody doesn't discover. But I mean, what a, what a place of freedom and joy and happiness to get up and say, you know what? <laughs> I don't have anything to hide, man. Come on into the house. Come on into my life. It don't matter. I haven't got what a, what a joyful and happy place to be. Man, love rejoices. You rejoice when you walk in truth. Love rejoices when it sees others walking in truth. A quick passage of Scripture, John says this on two occasions in his epistles, I have no greater joy. There's nothing that makes me happier than to look out and see my children, my people, walking in truth. Nothing to hide, just genuine and real. And man, it, it stirs something when someone you love is just living right and doing right and, and man, pressing for the things that God has for them. Love gets inspired when people begin to walk in truth. You know what? I believe your Heavenly Father gets inspired. Think about that. You have the ability to inspire love itself. I believe He gets inspired when He looks down here and sees one of His children or two of His children or a church full of His children just saying, Look, God, we don't have anything to hide. We're not harboring any agendas here. We're just walking in truth under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's when heaven itself gets happy. Numbers 12 through 16 come quickly. They come quickly. Uh, verse 7, we have four, four quick statements that I'm going to try to, to get through here in the next few minutes with you. Uh, we're going to read them with these alls in mind. Uh, I'm glad that our Heavenly Father gets happy and rejoices when we walk in the truth. Verse 7 reads this way. First of all, it bears all things. That means this, that love is covering. That means that love is, is covering. Love bears all things. Uh, bear there is this verb, stego, stego. That's the verb in the Greek. It means to cover or to ward off by covering. It means it overwhelms and outlasts, and I'm just giving you what I've come to in interpretation. It, it overwhelms and outlasts the evil and wrong in your life. Love will always outlast evil. It'll always overcome it. It might be out there for a little while, but that steady flow of love is going to overwhelm it and overtake it. I saw and watched on TV rather intently some months ago that lava flow in Hawaii. How many of y'all kept up with that? Man, there was a whole village in the path they calculated of this lava flow. And day after day after day, they'd stand there and talk about eventually. I mean, only moving so slow. But eventually, man, that lava flow was going to overtake this town, overtake those houses, and it was going to burn them to the ground. And it'd just be like that little old town, and those houses never were there. And the question always was, what can we do? How, what's our plan? And you know their inevitable answer? There's absolutely nothing. There's nothing we can do. Uh, there's nothing we can do about trying to divert this. This thing has so much power, so much heat in it. They would tell the degrees Fahrenheit it was as it would roll down through there. And they said, there's absolutely nothing we can do to divert it. There's absolutely nothing we can do to stop it. It's just on a path of its own. And whatever it chooses to do, it's going to do. And you know, that's what love is. Man, love is more powerful than any lava flow anywhere. It's going to outlast evil. It's going to outlast wrong. It's going to outlast unrighteousness. It's going to outlast its world. It's going to outlast everything. Everything else inside of love is going to be wood, stubble, and hay. But love, my friend, is going to endure and overcome everything in life. Aren't you glad, I would put this, 
that his love has overcome, that his warded off by covering your sin. I'm glad that his love eventually is going to deliver me from the very presence of sin where I still exist in this world, and it's going to deliver me to the kingdom of heaven where I'll never have to encounter sin and wrong and temptation in my life ever again. Love is going to cover it. It's going to ward it off. It's going to overwhelm it and outlast it. 1 Peter 4, 8, you ought to write that scripture reference down. This is a word to a church living in the last days. It's a word about ethics. It's telling them how to live. And Peter says to that little church, above all, love one another. Above all, agape one another. And he makes a statement that we've misinterpreted sometimes. He says this, for, for love covers, doesn't it? Isn't that what he said? Love covers how much sin? A multitude of sin. He's saying, man, I know there's going to be sin and wrong in the church, and as long as people's there, it's going to be there. But, be, but keep on loving one another, because you know what? That love's going to overcome it. It's going to overcome everything. And, man, it's going to win out in the end. Love, man, is covering. The 13th statement is this. Love is positive. He says it believes all things. It's always ready to see the best in others. Now, make no mistake, love isn't gullible. That doesn't mean that, man, you can just fool it. Man, it's just, oh, yeah, I believe any old thing you say. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that love is always ready to give the benefit of the doubt. In the court system of the United States, there's a, there's a kind of a saying or a motto or a truth that underlies it, that a man is what? He's innocent until he's what? Proven guilty. Well, you know that's good in the court of law, but in the world that just isn't the case, is it? Most times people are guilty until they prove themselves to be innocent anymore. Man, if you don't think this is true, try to go get on an airplane this afternoon. How many of y'all hear what I'm saying? Just try. Just try to go get on an airplane. Man, you go to get on an airplane, it's going to take you two and a half hours to get through the security checks. Man, they're going to have you standing in places doing this right here. I mean, making sure that the thing rolls around you, that you ain't got any guns or any knives. They're going to x-ray every piece of luggage you got on there. You can't even have a razor to shave your face. It's not, not contained in some kind of baggie like that to me. I don't understand what a Ziploc bag, how's that going to stop anything? But nevertheless, you got to have them all divided in any Ziploc bag. Man, we were loading on a plane one time and they saw a razor blade in our uh, I'm not talking about a straight razor I'm talking about a, a shave and a Bic razor man you can't hardly cut anything with one of them even a piece of paper they saw it in one of our luggage they pulled us off to the side beloved they said hey you guys going to step right over here we're going to have to search this luggage and you don't go anywhere we may have to search you in a different way I'm thinking my heaven what have we got in there that I didn't know about and man alive Tammy he said have you got anything sharp in here ma'am and in that tone of voice you know my dear little old wife she wasn't her to flee. Have you, got any, have you got anything sharp in there, man? She said, oh, yeah, let me help you unzip it. He said, no, no, hand on the gun. You can't touch that. You can't touch that, man. Get over there in that square of tape right quick. I mean, that's the kind of way people treat you, man. It's like you're just some kind of terrorist from somewhere until you prove yourself otherwise. And when they let you through, they're looking at you with this menacing look like, I'm not sure if you got something by me or not, buddy. I'm not sure, but I'm watching you. I'm going to watch you the rest of the way. Got my eyes on you. Man, that's the way we treat each other. And that's not love. Love's the opposite. It tries to see the best in people. It tries to overlook those things and believe the very best. To give people what we used to say, the, the benefit of the doubt. It sees the positive side. Fourteenth, love is expectant. It says it hopes all things. No hope, you have death in your life. A man without hope is miserable. A man without hope 
isn't even living. Hope means this. It believes that ultimately victory, good, and deliverance is coming. It's not ignorance of circumstances and situations, but it knows and earnestly expects that the best result is coming. I wrote this down. Love has great, great, great expectations. It believes that the best is yet to come. I'm going to tell you a truth. Because of the love of God, your Father's best is, is yet to come in your life. Because of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to have a forward look because love does. It hopes. It looks forward. And I believe your best is yet to come. Doesn't the word talk of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it call it? It calls it a blessed hope. The word hope is not a cop-out. The word hope is not some second-class second word. The word hope is powerful and strong. It says the blessed hope of His appearing. How many of y'all believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again? How many of y'all believe that? Beloved, that is a blessed hope. And there's not a day we'll spend on this planet that'll compare to a twinkling of an eye in the presence of God throughout all eternity. That's the blessed hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love is always expectant, man. Hope, man, will bring something into your life that the world cannot. As Christians, I wrote this down. We have something that the world does not have, something that the world cannot give, and something that the world cannot take away. And the hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all brought to us by way of the love of God. And it's agape fashion. Number 15, love is strong. It says that it endures all things. It endures all things. Love is strong. There is no size load, I put this down, that the love of God cannot bear. There is not a load that you can imagine today that the love of God cannot bear. I remember taking my little old uh, Ford pickup. It's not a big Ford. It's a little Ford, a little Ford Ranger, up to the quarry up in, up in Black Mountain, up to Grovestone, to get me a little gravel to spread it out on my driveway. I thought I'd go up there and I'll maybe get me a half a ton, maybe something like that, maybe 750 pounds, not a ton of gravel, didn't need a lot. I got up there and told her what I wanted, and man, backed up to that big old gravel pile out there, and she said, just back up there and wait. Somebody will be out there to load you up. Man, I backed up there and waited and hadn't been there two seconds till I heard the, something sounded like a jet airplane coming toward I was looking all over the place. Man, here come the biggest front-end loader I've ever seen in my life while the tires on that thing were higher than my truck ever had time to be. It rolled around the corner. The bucket on it was bigger than my... He could have picked that truck up in that bucket, and I thought, man, did she not here how much gravel I needed I think I'd been better off to shovel it in myself than that and man he turned that bucket over and began to load that truck and I heard noise and noise and noise and noise that thing began to squat and squat and squat and I sat there so long I thought I must have been buried right there at the Grovestone quarry in that little Ford Ranger Man, he just backed up and left me sitting there. The motor's still running. I eased it in first gear. All I could see was shocks exploded and, and leaf springs broken. I thought, how in the world am I ever going to get home? I figured the clutch would be burned. Slam out of that thing before I ever got it back to die leaf, man. I didn't know how to get it off. I was a mind to take a shovel and, and start throwing some of it off out there, man. Uh, she overloaded that little truck. I'm going to tell you, you'll never do that to the love of God. You never will. You never knew that to agape love that someone has for you in their life. You'll never put a load on love that it cannot bear. It says that it endures 
all things. Doesn't the Word encourage us, man, to cast how much of our care on the Lord? All of our care. Why? Because He loves you. And what He's saying is, I can take it. Throw it on me. I can take it. Why? Because I agape you. And there's not a load you're going to put on me that my love for you cannot stand up under the weight of. Man, today I challenge you, you put your sin on him, you put your shortcomings on him, put your griefs on him, put your griefs on him, put your maladies on him, put your misunderstandings on him, put your concerns on him, put your criticisms on him. He says, put all your cares on me because I love you and I can bear the weight of them. There's nothing you're going to throw at me. It's even going to make a dent in my capacity. I'm glad today that the love of God has no standard payload. How I many of y'all are glad for that? I'm glad it's not a three-quarter ton or a one-ton or even a, a two-ton payload. I'm glad today that there is no limit to what the love of God can bear in your life. How many of y'all could give testimony today that the love of God has held up under every strain you've ever put on it in your life? Man, it says it's strong. It bears all things. I'm going to tell you, if you're sitting in here today and you're thinking, God can't possibly love me. It does not matter today where you've been. And it does not matter what you've done. For the love of God is more than able to bear up under the weight of anything that you come to it with today. Lastly, Number 16, love never fails. Other things will fail in your life. Other things will. Other people in your life are going to fail you. But I'm going to tell you the agape love of God never fails. It never comes up short. It's never obsolete. It's always going to meet every need. Of every hour. We sang that song, Lord, I need you. Well, let me tell you, when he shows up, he ain't ever going to let you down. He sang his love, never fails, never gives up, never going to turn his back and run out on you. Love never fails. How's your love life? What is the essence of this love that we're trying to portray? What does it look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. If you want to know what it looks like, it looks like Jesus. Let's go read the Gospels. Go analyze them. You'll see love. You'll see it. Hopefully, it's what we look like to a lost and a dying world. Hopefully, we're the fragrance, the essence of the sweet rose of Sharon, the fragrance of life to people struggling in death. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.